Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in United States v. Haymond, certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit, argued February 26, 2019, decided June 26, 2019. Respondent Andre Haymond was convicted of possessing child pornography, a crime that carries a prison term of 0 to 10 years. After serving a prison sentence of 38 months, and while on supervised release, Mr. Haymond was again found with what appeared to be child pornography. The government sought to revoke his supervised release and secure a new and additional prison sentence. A district judge, acting without a jury, found by a preponderance of the evidence that Mr. Haymond knowingly downloaded and possessed child pornography under 18 U.S.C. section 3583 E3. The judge could have sentenced him to a prison term of between zero and two additional years, but because possession of child pornography is an enumerated offense under section 3583K, the judge instead imposed that provision's five-year mandatory minimum. On appeal, the Tenth Circuit observed that whereas a jury had convicted Mr. Heyman beyond a reasonable doubt of a crime carrying a prison term of zero to ten years, this new prison term included a new and higher mandatory minimum rest, resting on facts found only by a judge, by a preponderance of the evidence. The Tenth Circuit therefore held that Section 3583K violated the right to trial by jury guaranteed by the Fifth and Sixth Amendments. The Supreme Court held uh, the judgment is vacated and the case is remanded. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, joined by Justice Ginsburg, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan concluded that the application of Section 3583K in this case violated Mr. Heyman's right to a trial by jury, as at the time of the Fifth and Sixth Amendments adoption, a judge's sentencing authority derives from and is limited by the jury's factual findings of criminal conduct. A jury must find beyond a reasonable doubt every fact which the law makes essential to a punishment that a judge might later seek to impose. That's uh, Blakely versus Washington. Historically, that rule's application proved straightforward, but recent legislative innovations have raised difficult questions. In Apprendi versus New Jersey, for example, this court held unconstitutional a sentencing scheme that allowed a judge to increase a defendant's sentence beyond the statutory maximum based on the judge's findings of new facts by a preponderance of the evidence. And in Elian v. United States, the court held that Apprendi's principle applies with equal force to facts increasing the mandatory minimum. The lesson for this case is clear. Based solely on the facts reflected in the jury's verdict, Mr. Heyman faced a lawful prison term of between 0 and 10 years. But, just like the facts the judge found at the defendant's sentencing hearing in Allien, the facts the judge found here increased the legally prescribed range of allowable sentences, in violation of the Fifth and Sixth Amendments. The government's various replies are unpersuasive. First, it stresses that Allien arose in a different procedural posture, but this court has repeatedly rejected efforts to dodge the demands of the Fifth and Sixth Amendments by the simple expedient relabeling of a criminal prosecution. And this court has already recognized that punishments for revocation of supervised release arise from and are treated 
as part of the penalty for the initial offense. That's Johnson versus United States. Because a defendant's final sentence includes any revocation sentence he may receive, Section 3583K's five-year mandatory minimum mirrors the unconstitutional sentencing enhancement in Alien. Second, the government suggests that Mr. Heyman's sentence for violating the terms of a supervised release was actually fully authorized by the jury's verdict because his supervised release was from the outset always subject to the possibility of judicial revocation and Section 3583K's mandatory prison sentence. But what is true here in Apprendi and Alien can be no less true here. A mandatory minimum five-year sentence that comes into play only as a result of additional judicial factual findings by a preponderance of the evidence cannot stand. Finally, the government contends that Section 3583K's supervised release revocation procedures are practically identical to historic parole and probation revocation procedures, which have usually been understood to comport with the Fifth and Sixth Amendments. That argument overlooks a critical difference between Section 3583K and traditional parole and probation practices, where parole and probation violations traditionally exposed a defendant only to the remaining prison term authorized for his crime of conviction, Section 3583K exposes a defendant to an additional mandatory minimum prison term beyond that authorized by the jury's verdict, all based on facts found by a judge by a mere preponderance of the evidence. The Tenth Circuit may address, on remand, the question whether its remedy, declaring the last two sentences of Section 3583K unconstitutional and unenforceable, sweeps too broadly, including any question concerning whether the government's argument to that effect was adequately preserved. Justice Breyer agreed that the particular provision at issue, 18 U.S.C. Section 3583K, is unconstitutional. Three features of Section 3583K considered together make it less like ordinary supervised release revocation and more like punishment for a new offense, to which the jury right would typically attach. First, Section 3583K applies only when a defendant commits a discrete set of criminal offenses specified in the statute. Second, Section 3583K takes away the judge's discretion to decide whether violation of the conditions of supervised release should result in an imprisonment and for how long. And third, Section 3583K limits the judge's discretion in a particular manner by imposing a mandatory minimum term of imprisonment of not less than five years. Upon a judge's finding that a defendant has committed a listed offense, but because the role of the judge in the typical supervised release proceeding is consistent with traditional parole, and because Congress clearly did not intend the supervised release system to differ from parole in this respect, Justice Breyer would not transplant the Apprendi line of cases to the supervised release context. Justice Gorsuch announced the judgment of the court and delivered an opinion in which Justice Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan joined. Justice Breyer filed an opinion concurring in the judgment. Justice Alito filed a dissenting opinion in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Thomas and Kavanaugh joined. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get all of the podcast, we can be reached at RhodesScholar80 at gmail. 
and that's uh, R-O-A-D-S and 8-0, or on Twitter at Court Syllabus.